Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. And he says something peculiar here. He says, Where is the house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? See, we don't often think about God looking for a place to rest. We're often consumed with what we want, which is rest. And God was saying, who's going to build me a house so that I can come and rest there? And we get a, a glimpse of that in Hebrews 3, what house that is that he's speaking of. Hebrews 3 verse 4 says, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward but Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end God is looking for a house that's not been made with man's hands and he's looking for a place where he will find rest and that's why the Spirit of God just rushes in rooms because he's looking for people that will build him a house, a tabernacle, which you are. And he says, oh, I have rest here. I want to rest within the soul of my people. And I want to minister on that today. I feel a prophetic spirit that just sweeped into this place when you were worshiping a moment ago. And I want to join with that. I want to partner with it. And I want to minister with you. Now, I'll say with you because church is not a building church as a people and it works better when we minister together I, I get more and more the longer I do this I get more and more uncomfortable with platforms because for some reason it's just kind of like we turn off our ministries and we listen into the minister when actually we're supposed to stir up the gift that's within us and partner it with the minister and so I want to minister with you today amen prayer warriors if you feel to pray begin praying intercessors intercede altar workers be looking out Worshippers, worship whatever God has given you to do, the faith that you have, stir it up and let's partner together. So let's do that one time as a body. Let's get unified right now by worshiping the King. We may not all agree on the exact same things right now. We're working towards that as we read the word. But what we can agree on is that God is King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords and we're going to worship him. And when you do that, we're in unity right now in this moment. We're unified because we're worshiping together. And God is attracted to unity because it's made in his image for he is one. And when the people become one, he comes into the room. So let's begin to worship him in unity right now. Father, we love you. We adore you. We declare that you are King of Kings. We declare you Lord of all. God, you're Lord of my life. You're Lord of my finances. You're Lord of my decisions. You're Lord of my job. You're Lord of my children. You're Lord of my marriage. You're Lord of everything. God, I give it all unto you for nothing is mine. And God, I receive whatever you're going to do in this place today. In the name of Jesus, we'll take no glory for it, for it all belongs to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? Thank you, Jesus. God, we love you. We praise you. Praise God. You can be seated. It is clear from the Bible that God is passionate about a house. This is seen early on in the very first pages of the Bible when rather than formally introduce himself, God focuses intently on the construction of a house. 
Rather than pour a foundation, though, made with concrete and rebar, the foundation of the earth was his word, which was strong enough to hold everything suspended in space and time. God didn't build all of this with material. He built this purely on the foundation of his word. For God said, let there be light. And then God said, let there be land. For God said, let life fill the air, let life fill the land. Everything was built upon the foundation of the word because his word can hold all of creation. His word can sustain it. His word can hold it. But he doesn't stop there. He also creates a garden, the Bible says, in the earth where he would place humanity. And most importantly, he said, I will dwell with them there. On the seventh day, he rests in this home with his creation. Unfortunately, this home, however, didn't seem to be valued and was sold for the astonishingly low price of one fruit. And though man moved out, it did not diminish the passion of God to have a house where he could rest. His entire passion from Genesis all the way through the first five books of the Bible, the prophetic books of the Bible, the wisdom literature of the Bible, the gospels, the epistles, and the revelations, it was the same passion from beginning to end. I want a place, and I want a people. And I don't want just people in a place. I want to be there with the people in that place. I want to dwell with them there. This passion never ceased. And even though Adam and Eve moved out, God would prove to us throughout the pages of his holy word, he would build us a foundation of what he was most passionate about. And so God sets out after this fall to build another house. This time it's one made of flesh. And he called it the tent of meeting. Because he promised Moses, he said, I want you to take some ram skins. I want you to take that, stretch it over these, these tent pegs. And I want you to make sure it's lowly and humble. In fact, the Israelites might be a little embarrassed by the house that I build because it pales in comparison to the houses of Egypt. It won't look like the pyramids. It won't be as extravagant. It won't be as splendid. But it, what's inside of it, Israel doesn't have. What's inside the house, Israel or Egypt has never seen. The beauty of everything that you make, the golden furniture, put it all inside the house. The outside of the house is important too, but the main thing about the outside is I want it to be lowly. I want it to be humble. I want it to be meek. I want people to seek out the lowly and see what's inside. So they build this tent made of flesh. And little did Moses know as he's constructing it from the divine blueprints of the grand architect that he would be foreshadowing something greater to come, another house. And Moses may have thought to himself, why flesh? Why make this tabernacle of meeting out of something so lowly? There may have been even some Israelites who looked at it with embarrassment and thought, why don't you build a pyramid, something extravagant, something that would compare to the culture? Why build something so lowly? so meek and then all of a sudden when it was done they would take a four foot box called the mercy seat and God said put that in the most holy place this tabernacle is going to be like the Eden experience there was the outer and then there was the there was the garden but then there was there was Eden and then the garden in Eden it's going to be three dimensions of one home but put the mercy seat in the most holy place why God why do you want us to build this four foot box what's so special about 
about this little mercy seat. He told them, he said, build me a mercy seat. And even though I can fill all time and all space and I can be everywhere all at once, what I will do is I will choose to be limited for you. Even though I can be everywhere, I will limit that part of myself so that I could sit on a four-foot box just to see you. Just to come and meet with you face to face as a friend. I will build it. Just build it for me and I will fill it up. Because it don't have to be pretty. It don't have to look like Egypt's pyramids. Just build something lowly and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking. My spirit seeks out the humble and I will fall into that flesh-covered tent. And sure enough, they build it. They put the mercy seat in. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 40 that the glory fell. And that tent was filled with the smoke. And it was filled that place and then Leviticus 1 God speaks to Moses and he says come here I want to see you come into this place come and see me I want to dwell with you thank you for building me a house thank you for building a tabernacle so lowly I don't want to sit in extravagance I want to sit where it's flesh covered and lowly and I'll limit myself to dwell there however this house was sold by two people One's name was Hophni, the other name was Phinehas in the book of Samuel. The Bible said that they were priests. They were supposed to maintain the glory of God. Glory in Hebrew is kavod. It means a heaviness. Their entire job was to maintain that heaviness. However, the Bible says, Pastor Man, they took forks and they stuck it into the people's sacrifices. And they pulled the fork out and they would eat from the sacrifice. Which according to Leviticus 1 and Leviticus 6, that was supposed to be dedicated unto God. And yet they're eating the sacrifice that was supposed to be offered to God. And the Bible said they made themselves kaved, which is the Hebrew word for fat. And the Bible shows us that they were more concerned about their kaved than his kavod. And when you're more concerned about your kaved, your heaviness versus his heaviness, the only other person that can be born is ikhavod, which was Phinehas's son. It means the glory left. I'm going to sell this for my glory. I'm going to diminish God's house so that I can be heavy. It was sold for an astonishingly low price of more food. Why? Because it seems to be that the biblical message to us is that our belly is our God. I want what I'm hungry for. And God says, I would that you'd be hungry for the bread. The bread that only I can give you. But God, your bread's unleavened. It doesn't taste that good. There's not much in it that would seemingly provide for me. And God says, just build a house. And I'll give you the bread that'll never make you hunger again. Just worry about my heaviness, not yours. Nevertheless, the temple, the lowly temple was sold. After 440 years of utilizing this humble, flesh-covered tent of meeting, Solomon began another project. In 1 Kings 5, if you can put it up there for me, it says this. He says, Behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Now, therefore, command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon. This is God giving more blueprints. He says, Go to the people and tell them to cut down cedars for me from Lebanon. My servants will be with their servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. 
For you know there is none among you or none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. Now notice what this wise king does. This is important that we see verse 17 and 18. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, hewn stones, to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, and notice this next one, Hiram's builders, and the Gibalites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. The wisest king in the Old Testament, under the impression of God moving upon him, he said, here's what we're going to do. The next house is going to be made out of stones. It's going to be just as lowly. But so that we don't think that it's extravagant, because the materials aren't flesh anymore, so that we don't get arrogant about the new house that's being built, let's go and dig the stones up from the dark places. Let's go and tie ropes around these stones and pull them out of those dark places. And to make sure that we never get arrogance over this glorified house, let's cut the stones. Let's make sure that we never know or never think that it's because of the stones that the house is glorious. Let's make sure that we always look upon cut stones so that we realize it's not about the stones. It's not about the bricks. It's about what houses those bricks. It's about a place that God inhabits. It's beautiful. It's, it seems better than the flesh covered, but this one's just more glorified than the flesh covered. It's just the next, it's just the next dispensation of what was. It's the new. But I can't help but notice that this wise king hired the world to cut the stones. And it's also crucial that you get this, that God's glory filled that house just as much as it did the first house. Telling me that God came and dwelled on first what was cut by the world. God said the world will cause the stones the problems. The Israelites didn't build this house. He hired Hiram and his builders to build this house. And those builders cut these stones, pulled them out of dark places, stacked them up. And God said, I'll fall on what the world cut. I will dwell in what the world caused the problems to the new house. I'll come and dwell with them. But in the very next verse, we see a dark turn where this wise Solomon makes a carnal mistake as he decided his house was more important than God's house. Because he built an 11,250 square foot house for himself. God was already working, though, on a totally redesigned house. You see, again, Solomon was more worried about his honor and his glory than the glory that would fall in the other house. He built God a nice house, albeit wasn't nearly as nice as his. And we see that this man sold a glorious house that God dwelled in that was cut by the world for his own house and his own glory. This 2,700-square-foot house on Time Street was destroyed as God said it would be. Solomon didn't follow the commandments set before him. But Jesus would come, and this is what it says of him. This great house in John 1 said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John tells us a prophetic image in John 1.14. And the Word became flesh 
and he dwelt. The word dwelt means tabernacled. He came down here and he said, I'm looking for a house and I needed to show you what the house would look like. This house wasn't built by any human hands. I don't even have an earthly father. None of this was even built. Nobody's going to get credit for this house. This house is going to be filled. And this is what John said. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten. In him was that glory. Inside of him was that smoke. In him was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he walked amongst us. And we beheld all of he is amongst us. And he came to see us face to face. What was God doing? He was walking amongst empty houses, looking at a neighborhood that needed remodeling. And he looked and he said, here's what I'll do. I'll buy them all up. I'll buy up every house. And y'all know a little something about Chip and Joanna Gaines around here in Texas. He said, I can turn this neighborhood and I can reinvest in this and I can make every house better than what they were before they started with. Nobody wanted to buy these houses. Somebody looked at the old dilapidated walls and said, there's no way I'll invest in that. They're asking too much. And God said, I'll pay more than anybody's willing to offer. Because it's not about the condition of the home. It's about what moves into the house that makes it a home. And I'm about to buy up every house. I just need somebody to allow me to move into it and begin to do a remodeling job. I will turn you into a better real estate than you've ever had. I will flip every house and make it worth more. I won't sell it like Adam because I'm the second Adam. I won't sell it like Hophni and Phinehas because I'm a better priest. And I won't sell it like Solomon because I'm a wiser king than he is. I'm not going to sell this house. And there's a reason why I'm not going to buy a house while I'm here on this earth. There's a reason why Jesus had nowhere to lay down his head. Because he wasn't here to buy a house. He wasn't even here to purchase a tomb. A rich man bought that. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm not resting in a tomb. And I'm not going to invest in houses. I'm going to purchase people because that's where I'm going to live. That's the place where I'm going to dwell for eternity. Why would I buy buy anything lesser than what's most important in front of me. I'm looking for fleshly, lowly houses to show us this zeal that he had. Jesus does something unique. He's walking around one day in John 2, 14, and he begins to look at Herod's temple. He begins to walk around it, and I can see the God that he was getting agitated as he walks around and he looks at this splendid. And you got to understand something about archaeological history. We found out that Herod began building this house and he just didn't keep it as it was. He started adding things to it. There was a temple there to worship a Roman God. There was a temple there to begin worshiping all these foreign gods. Instead of one altar, you see, the Old Testament had one route to the Holy of Holies. The altar, the laver of water, which was baptism, all the way into the most holy place. This new temple had multiple entrances. You can do whatever you want in this house. You can serve whoever you want. You can still make it to the holy place here. We've built an accommodating house for the people. And Jesus is walking around. He begins to look at it. And he goes, mm, this isn't right. Why are there multiple altars? Why are there multiple entrances to the place? There's only one way there. There's only one door. Why did you put multiple? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Why? There's, there's not multiple ways to the Father. I'm the only way. 
And he begins to look at this. And in John 2, 14, it says, And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made, notice this. Pay close attention to what's happening here. Jesus has been visiting the synagogue for at least three years in his ministry. He's been there since he was 12. But his ministry, he's been visiting it for three years. So what that tells me is he's never liked what was in the temple. But his grace was giving us time to figure out what wasn't supposed to be in the temple. When we didn't figure it out, he didn't go down to Home Depot and bought a whip. He didn't pull up a laptop and type in whip on Amazon. He sat down and made a whip. He was not rash. He was calculated because it would take him a few days to make this whip. And he would just stew as God in the flesh was saying, what have they done to my house? And that stuff doesn't belong there. In what world? you got to understand also that those tables, they were selling sacrifices. To buy the sacrifice to have your sins removed, they were charging 100% taxes. So for every dollar it cost for a dove, they had to pay another dollar to the priests. Sounds like these old priests here are more worried about their glory than God's. And so Jesus walks in and he says, what is going on here? When he had made the whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Why are you reducing the price of salvation down to a dollar in taxes? Those people are worth more than that. How much more, Jesus? I'm about to show you how much they're worth. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm gonna, and I'm rich in mercy, and I'm about to pay the ultimate price. You've reduced them down to taxes. And he drives them out, and then his disciples get a revelation, and they said, that must be what it meant when it was written. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Who do you think you are, Jesus? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. In three days, I'll raise up another one. They looked at him and they said, you're not even 46. It took us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days. You're not looking at the same temple I am. I'm getting ready to build something different than a synagogue. And it's not going to have multiple entrances to it. It's going to have one altar. It's going to have one entryway. I'm going to be the door. And any man who comes to me can get to the Father. I'm going to be the altar. I'm going to be the priest. I'm going to be the lamb which was slain. I'm going to do all of that. A lot of people wonder, how can he be the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? I don't know. How can he be the tabernacle, the sacrifice, and the priest? He's God. And that was his plan from the beginning. I'm going to do all of this and I'm going to be all things for everyone who needs it. And I'm going to be the father coming amongst you as the son to show you what a son looks like because nobody knows what sonship is unless I be a son. After surveying the stone house of Herod, flipping over the tables, he began breaking ground for a new home. And in Luke 19, 37, he shows us something else. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees 
called to him. You know, you got to get loud to call to him. Their worship was, stop all the worship. You got to get loud to make somebody stop worshiping. Why don't you just get loud with the worshipers if you're going to spend that much energy? And he called to them, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones. And now I'm just going to, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been preaching a long time. Okay. And I've preached it. And when I'm trying to get the people to, to move, God's matured me. I'm so thankful for this. I'm not, I'm not trying to incite a response from people anymore. I know all the right words. I've been doing this a long time. I've been raising this. I know how to get you to worship. And one of the tactics I used to use was, hey, if you don't praise him, the stones are going to beat you. And I just, I don't do that anymore. Because that word for stone is not the Greek word petros, which is random pebble. He does not, he's not alluding to stones out praising us. He uses the Greek word lithos, which is brick. He's looking at the house of Israel, the ones who represent the house of Israel, the Pharisees, and their cry is, stop the worship. And Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, listen, if you don't praise me, house of Israel, I got some bricks over here I'll build another one with. I got some bricks that I'll build another house with, and I will go dwell there. Oh, yeah? Well, who are they? I got a whole pile of Gentiles. And I'm about to pull them out of the dark places. They're about to be quarried. They're about to be cut on. They're about to be set up as a holy house. And when they build me that house, I'm going to come and dwell there. So Israel, go ahead. Don't worship me. I'm going to find me a people that will. I've got a whole group of people that want to worship me. And when you came in this place today and you lifted up holy hands without wrath and doubting and you begin to worship God, God looked down from heaven and he said, look at those people down there, those that don't have it all put together yet, all of those people that haven't been raptured yet, those that still haven't gotten their answers to the problems yet, those that are still sick, those that are still dealing with turmoil, look at the cut stones. Let me come and fall upon those cut stones. But before the Gentiles praised him, the cornerstone would be cut first. He said, I'm going to lay a foundation there's one wiser than Solomon among you. And if the wisdom of Solomon said, get the world to cut the stones and I'll fall on that one, what do you think I'll do with the other house? There's a house coming better than Solomon's house and I'm going to dwell there. Sure enough, Jesus would go and he would build this house. Solomon, who spent 13 years on his house, Jesus spent three years on this one and he built it in three days. Jesus raised it up and he said, here, I'm the first fruit of many brethren. Everybody who follows the chief cornerstone. What was the chief cornerstone? What did he do? He lived and he lived a sanctified life, but then he died and then he was resurrected after he was buried. And this was the death, his burial, his resurrection. What gives us access that when we die, when we say, God, I don't want to do this my way anymore. I don't want to try to fix all this stuff. God, I want to partner with you, the one who has it figured out. So I'm going to die to self and I'm going to turn my face towards you and I'm going to be baptized in your name. I'm going to be buried like you were baptized and then I'm going to resurrect it the way you were resurrected. And when that happens, I can live the way you lived. 
I love the death, the burial, the resurrection, but we need to add life to it because when you die, you're buried, you're resurrected. Now you can live the way Christ lived. That's the process of sanctification. We love justification through the death, burial, and resurrection, but through that, we can now be sanctified. And when we're sanctified, God can glorify, which says, okay, you're working at the sanctification and I'm working within you and you've allowed me to move into the temple. You're not perfect yet, but my spirit's moving the furniture. And as I remodel the walls and I take care of all the inward parts, you just keep being lowly and I'll take care of the inside parts and I'll move that out of the way and I'll take that hard heart and I'll put a mercy seat there and you take away all those things, all of your opinions and I'll put my bread there and you take away the worship of everywhere else you go of worshiping football players and and put worship to me there. He's moving around the furniture in the church right now. And we're getting sanctified people of God in this end time. And God said, now that there's sanctification, I can bring about glorification. And there's going to be a people that's going to rise up in the end time hour that walk in glory realms. And as they walk into workplaces and into homes, you're going to know I've been in the presence of God. We beheld the glory of God in a mere mortal. I believe that that's getting ready to happen in this end time hour where people are going to be glorified and you're going to know something's different about them. There's something about them. They're a little odd. It just seems like all they want to talk about is the kingdom. It seems that all the discussions they want to have is about him. It seems that all they want to do is speak Bible. It seems that all they want to do is reach souls. It seems that all they do when they come into the room is bring about peace. It seems that like when they show up, comfort comes with them. God is looking for a glorified church. Can I get four elders to come up here? Just four elders. Someone who's, who's been in the church a long time. And, you know, elders may not be years, but someone who's been in the church a long time. Just get, get four of y'all, four of y'all. Thank you, brother. I saw a gentleman up here worshiping earlier, and I saw a young man praying with him. It was beautiful. I love, I love multi-generational prayers. I love it when multiple generations come together. If y'all can come and stand right here, just four of y'all face the congregation. Thank you, brother. Can I get one more, one more? Thank you for your humility. Nobody wanted to come up here. That means y'all are humble. All right. Just kind of stand shoulder to shoulder facing the congregation. This is not something that I just picked up the Bible one day and started reading because I believe that we're supposed to be led by his spirit. But I believe we also need to be reading so that when we're led by his spirit, he leads us through the word. Because I believe that we're in the end times, we're going to have people who know their word. We're led by his spirit. But we're not just wild and chaotic. We're also disciplined, and we do everything. We're not just going to take a vision as it comes, but we're going to govern it through the Scripture to make sure it lines up with Scripture. And I believe that's going to, we're going to see a revival of that in the body of Christ. And it feels like this is that kind of church. It feels like a word church. But I had a vision, and this word that I'm ministering was based off of something that happened to me last year. I was flying, or the year before, I was flying to California, Pastor Man. And when I was... About midway through the flight, I just felt something stirring in my soul. And I just began to pray quietly in my, my little seat on row 104B. It was a, I was at the back of the plane. And as I was just meditating on the Lord and I was just dwelling on Him, I just felt something just stirring. And as I broke into California, man, it just started intensifying. When my plane hit the ground, I just felt just this, this prophetic stirring in my soul. And I couldn't shake it, so I went and got my rental, and I just made a beeline for the hotel so I could just get in there and just lock in and talk to God. When I got to my hotel in Modesto, California, I set my bags down, and when I opened up that door and walked into the hotel, 
immediately before I could ever utter a word, I saw the most vivid thing God had ever showed me. I saw these bricks falling from heaven, just one by one, just slamming on the ground, and it was being built up into one big wall. And that huge wall, I looked at it, and God's hand started writing on that wall. And I saw Acts 2. And God began to speak to me. He said, I began construction of the last house in Acts 2. He said, the first bricks were laid of this new home. He said, I tore down the temple and I began to raise it up. I was the chief cornerstone. And every disciple that followed after my death, burial, resurrection, and they preached my life and they preached my gospel, they were added as bricks in this house. And they were so passionate about it that they discipled everyone they came in contact with. And they propped people up on their shoulders and they started building one wall in my house. And God told me, he said, but I wasn't done. I want a house, not a wall. And immediately I saw, as right here, it turned, and I saw bricks falling from heaven, and it stacked up real big, and the wall was finished, and handwriting came on the wall, and it said, The Great Awakening. Can I get some of you, just you four, just come stand right here, just on this side. And right there I saw, oh, wow, the house is getting stronger. Just stand just like them, but facing this way. And I looked at it, and I was walking in my hotel room as if it were, as if it were just happening in real life. I could see it in ultra-high definition. And I'm walking around, and I said, oh, I'm so glad this wall is here because it strengthens the house. And I looked at it, and I said, praise God, he wasn't done yet. And then God said, look again, and I turned right here. And then I saw four bricks, or these bricks started stacking up on this wall. And it was being piled up. And I looked at the top corner, and I saw there was a few bricks left in that wall. And when I looked on the handwriting on the wall, it said, the Azusa Street Revival. And I began to look, and I said, God, this is a beautiful house you're building. They preached it, and were built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And then I looked, and it's all based off of that chief cornerstone. But I'm so thankful there was people that were praying in those hours when nobody else wanted to pray, and they brought an awakening into the world. I'm so thankful. And then I'm so thankful that those people found themselves on, an, on a front porch seeking God, and they were praying. They said, we want to move of the Spirit. We want God. We want more of Him. And then I loved it when I saw it moved into a building on Azusa Street, and that house got stronger. And God spoke to me and said, there's a final wall the house isn't done yet and he said look up at the top and I saw the few bricks left and he said I'm going to finish the wall next year I said God what 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 does that mean he said there's going to be some that go home during a pandemic he said and this wall is done he said and I'm going to break ground for the last wall He said, there's a final wall. He said, and when this wall starts getting built, do you feel that? Do you feel that? There's an expectation in the hour right now. There's an expectation. Why do you think the church has been cut on? Why do you think there's been problems? Why do you think there's been so many things been happening in America? Stones are being cut because he's preparing this last wall. And while we lament and say, God, why? What's going on in America? What's happening with all the carnality? What's going on with the problems? God is looking at us and he's saying, this is what I've always done. My apostles were cut on. The great awakening, they were cut on. Those that were on Azusa tree, they had tomatoes thrown at them and they were cut on. What did you think would happen on the last wall? 
But God began to speak to me so profoundly, Pastor Man. If you can come over here. There's a reason why. There's been a tremendous amount of pressure. If you're, if you're in the ages of late 20s, early 30s, and 40s, would you raise your hand? Just kind of stand up right now, in fact. Would you just stand up? You're in that age bracket. Late 20s to 40s, in that age bracket. Have you noticed? Have you noticed a tremendous pressure lately? Have you been noticing a weariness that's been coming over you? Do you feel like there's just a spiritual drain that's been happening in your soul? You just feel tired. And just, it takes everything to just put one foot in front of the other, so to speak. And you come here out of habits. There's a reason why. I've been asking God because the past four months I've been more tired than I've ever been. And I'm so thankful for my brother. He, he felt it in the spirits. And he said, we're going to pray for Brother AJ. He didn't know how tired I've been. For four months, I've been weary. And I've been exhausted. And I've been asking God. I said, God, why do I feel this? And this is what God told me. He said, because you're now the new foundation. There's a pressure on this age demographic, Pastor Man. There's a pressure that's on you. And we're feeling the responsibility because God is turning us into slowly the elders. And God is putting a generation on our shoulders. And I have been feeling the tremendous weight of if I let go of anything. If I stop preaching even a little bit, I can hinder this whole project. And I felt the weight. I said, God, I want your word and your word only. I want to preach what your book says, not my traditional upbringing, not my hard side, not my personality. You give me word because, God, we got to build this thing right. Because, God, if this is the final wall, if this is the last thing, then, God, we got to do it right. I want to make sure it's built right. Brother Prince, if you can come stand right here. Sister Athena, if you can come stand next to him. Can I get some of you to just come over right here? You got to see what God showed me next, though, because there's more to the vision. And I believe it matters in this hour. As I began to see my peers being built upon and connected to the elders that were connected over here, and we were linking arms. If everyone can just kind of link arms, God began to deal with me, and he said, the house is going to get stronger this year. While everybody's worried about the church. While everybody's wondering what's going to happen to the Pentecost, what's going to happen to the outpouring, what's going to take place, is the church going to be okay? Look, it's stronger than it's ever been. This church is going to be fine. This church is going to be strong. But the most important part, most important part, I'll give honor to the bricks, but I will give worship to what's about to fall. And this is what God showed me. Immediately, Pastor Man, I began to see a compass. It rose out of the floor, and I saw the compass spin, and I saw that this was the eastern wall. This was the northern wall. This was the southern wall, and this one was the western wall. And I knew immediately what it meant because the Old Testament tabernacle, when you wanted to enter into it, you came from the east and you went to the west. The west was the one closest to the Holy of Holies. This was the entrance and it serves a profound purpose for without it, you have no access. Acts 2 gave us the entrance. 
The north and the southern walls were important because they pointed towards and they said, keep moving, don't stop. And as we begin to walk this wall, this generation, and all of a sudden I saw a shelf appeared on the wall. And I saw God come in as he dwelled in those bricks. And he came by and he looked at them and he said, well done, well done, well done. And he went and visited each generation. But what I saw next changed my life. And I want you to grab this. And when I get done, I want you to run to these altars. And I want you to throw your hands up as the unified body of Christ that we are. Because something's going to fall in this room. But get ready. to. This is where it's at right here. As I saw this shelf, I saw a lump of clay up there. There was no other clay left. It was one lump. And I saw the hand of the potter grab it. And he put it on a wheel. And I saw it spinning. And as the clay was dizzy, and it felt like there was a whirlwind of things happening, he began to take lumps of it one by one. And he formed individuals. And he said, here, I'm trusting you with the pandemic. Here, I'm trusting you with a secular society. Here, I'm going to trust you with gender identity issues. Here, I'm going to trust you with carnality. Here, I'm going to trust you with division in a nation. Here, I'm going to trust you. And God spoke to me. He said, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Hear me, church. Hear me. God could have put you in that wall if that's where he wanted you. God could have had you been born in Acts if that's where he wanted you. He could have put you in 1901 experiencing the Azusa Street Revival if that's where he wanted you. But for some reason, the potter looked up and said, huh, who can I trust with the end? Come as living stones, church. There's no need for more preaching. The burden's here. Would you rush these altars? And would you be a unified people? Would you lift up those hands? Would you join with this body of people? And would you set forth your faith and say, God, the house is stronger than it's ever been. Yeah, you might get cut on. Yeah, you might be. You might feel like you've been pulled out of a dark place. But God is building his last wall. If you're a guest here, would you join this great house? Would you come and join with the entire host of elders? Would you join with the people of God? We don't want to exclude anybody. We want every brick that needs to be in this house to be added to it. All that are here, would you come up here? Lift up your voices. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.